Hello everyone, you're listening to the CMO Stories podcast episode 3. My name is Yuri Bilast and I am your podcast host. Our guest today is Emilia. Emilia, yeah, I know that you have a difficult surname to pronounce, so perhaps <laughs> you can introduce yourself and your full name. Yeah, so I'm Emilia Korczyńska from UserPilot, yeah, and um, originally from Poland, hence the difficult last name, yeah. Yeah, me too. I have a difficult name for English-speaking people. Actually, mm. it's it's Yuri, so it sounds also a bit Russian. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I am from Belgium, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, how are you today? Are you? Uh, has it been a long day for you? Good, good. Yeah, it's been a long day, but you know, somehow feeling really pumped about okay. this Monday, working on different projects. So yeah, um, okay, exciting also, ha- things. Happy that you uh, took the time and to come on the podcast. So um, perhaps you can uh, tell us a bit more. Eh? So um, where do you live? What are your passions? Uh, I, we already know that you you have a Polish name, but perhaps there are some other interesting yeah, facts actually, about you. Yeah, I live in the UK. I've been living here on and off for 10 years. But like, well, on and off is a good way to put it because I've been kind of living in a lot of different countries in between. So, you know, Ireland, Germany, China, um yeah so it's um i've been all over the place working on different projects yeah but i keep kind of coming back to the uk so and all marketing related projects is that um yeah most of them most of them yeah but i was also trying to build my own SaaS tool um in china that was uh, pretty challenging i eventually gave it up sold the shares and and the company and um, came back to Europe. And then I joined um, first another startup post for tea. And then I finally made my way to use a pilot where I'm uh, quite happy right now. So not planning yeah, to change you, anything. You seem excited. Yeah. All these experiences. And so today you work at user pilot. Tell us a bit more about, about the company. Um, what what is your the activity of the company? Uh, why are you making a difference uh, in the world with your with your activities? Yeah, so we are basically a product growth platform, and this is a nebulous term. We're sort of trying to establish a new category here a bit. Um, well, it's probably mostly associated with product um, and user onboarding, especially new user onboarding. So you know, creating these product tools inside of your SaaS application um, without coding. Uh, we actually want to sort of um, encourage people to change the way they think about it. So instead of focusing just on onboarding new users, right, and then leaving them to their own devices after they have, you know, mastered the key features, we want the product marketers and product managers who usually use tools like UserPilot to think about the whole user journey and how they can push their users to unlock more value from their products at every stage of the user journey. And honestly, the longer I am at UserPilot, the more I kind of feel biased towards um, you know what we do. And each time I'm using a tool, I see, you know, how they could have implemented, you know, more in-app experiences to help me with my user journey. Because honestly, like who wants to write to support all the time? 
Like um, we are now trying a new strategy on user pilot. I will probably talk a little bit more about it later, but essentially I need to test a lot of different tools for it. And oh my gosh, like over the last week or so, I have been on, you know, the live chat with the technical support like several times about two tools. And each time I felt like this conversation should have been a tool tip, right? Because um, they're writing to me. I'm like, I don't know what's happening in the UX. I'm like, uh, is this sequence going to restart after I have, you know, paused it? Is it going to restart automatically once I've upgraded my account? And then they write back to me after the weekend, no, you need to hit the like uh, resume button. And I write back, where is the resume button? (laughs) (laughs) And and we're having chats like that. And sometimes it's interrupted by the weekend. And sometimes another person from the support comes in and like, they are like, oh, um, so where were we with this conversation? Because there was another person talking to me and I just get frustrated. So this is essentially what user pilot is trying to fix instead of, you know, the users have to, having to go to the support with every problem they have with your tool, you kind of observe the user behavior and you react to this behavior by the right in-app experiences. So you would say like, if you see your user has not resumed the sequence, right? And they mm-hmm. need to resume it. You would just like push them a little notification, like, "Hey, here is the button you need to click to make it go live again." Right? Yeah. So, so you um, make you, you make happy users. Eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, we could position ourselves like that. Is there a kind of what is a baseline actually for your company? Do you have a kind of a baseline? Because I'm, I'm looking at your website now. Um, baseline. I see mean? unlock growth opportunities at every stage of the user journey, but that's mm-hmm. just more like more the title of your website. Uh, but okay, perhaps an, another question uh, because you talked about already a challenge or challenges that you have. Are there some of the challenges that you have overcome since you joined the company from in the beginning because you said you had you did some other you had some other adventures before uh, joining user pilots oh yeah definitely i'm um, constantly overcoming challenges i think that's just the definition of uh, a marketer's job um but the biggest challenge i've overcome since i've joined is basically organizing the content workflow and, um, you know, I joined the company really, really early at the stage where there was like just a handful of people, like a really early stage startup, um, no systems, no organization, no structure. And I was the only marketer at that point, pretty much. Um, and, you know, a lot has changed since then. We're almost 50 employees now. And oh, yeah. We have proper systems um, in place, but I was you know, lucky and unlucky enough to be in the position to create these systems for marketing. Um, So that was a lot of work. And um, at first, for instance, when it comes to content production, we sort of hired a fractional VP of marketing um, as a consultant to just like guide us through the process of what we need to focus on because, you know, as most startups do, we were just like initially testing out a lot of different channels and throwing spaghetti yeah. on the wall. And then he just after a year advised us to focus on content and um, the organic SEO channel, which is what we did. But for that, we really needed to scale our content operations, um, which meant that we had to hire more writers and we had to like exponentially scale our output. 
and that proves to be really difficult. And at first, I made the mistake of um, hiring people people in house. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then when you have a couple of writers in house and they are supposed to write quite a lot per week, you build this like um, single point of failure into your process, right? Because when one of them is off sick or you yeah. know. Um, even they just go on holiday well like, what happens with your content velocity during that time mm-hmm. um and it happened to us that a lot of other writers we hired four and only three uh, and actually three left during the first three months so it's like oh my gosh what are we doing wrong right um and at that point i just had this aha moment to reorganize our content workflow completely and um to basically create a network of freelancers that would only be responsible for one blog post per week um, and instead have some editors in place that would sort of supervise quality um, because that was um, the main objection against outsourcing content from starters that, you know, we are very technical. It takes a lot of time to understand the platform, to get used to it. And... But again, this was a bit of an excuse for not creating the right processes. And after you know hiring the freelance writers, that forced us to document a lot more and to create like boilerplates and templates for you know the kind of content that needs to be developed and for what user pilot is, what our audience is, et cetera, et cetera. And that in turn um, forced us to create systems for the editors. So at this point, we also decided to scale um, the process by hiring freelance editors as well on top of freelance writers. Um, and it seems to be working, so fingers crossed this will you yeah. know, be... Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations that you did it like that, but but it's what you said is really important that to have like these procedures and when you hire people or you work with, with freelancers, then you are obliged to do it, to have like these procedures and also, you know, if, if someone leaves the team, then you can yeah. easily replace the, these persons. And myself also, I'm bur- on building this virtual team and then these SOPs, as they call them. Mm-hmm. The, the, these procedures are really, really important. And the other thing that you said about structure, I myself, now I'm, I'm having the role as fractional CMO in, in my company at the moment. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's what what we are doing. We're trying to find what is working eh? because a lot of things are already done, but there is no structure either. So it's like, okay, but what we don't want to do is, like you say, throw a a plate of spaghetti on the wall and see and hope that it sticks. Actually, okay, you you need to do some tests, but of course, you need to measure and you need to document and you need to, like you said, this procedure, know that you are on the on the right track or actually if you are not on the right track know why it doesn't work eh? if it yeah. doesn't work so yeah interesting uh, and so in all this 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 you know the, how many time are you now at the company you said um um around 50 but it seems to be changing you know every other week 50 people <laughs> and how many how many time when did you join the company how many, or, or when, uh, when was it Oh, okay. Um, almost two years ago. So, so, so it, two years. Yeah. A lot of things happened in those two mm. years. It seemed. So, if there was one or two big lessons that you learned, what what would that be in those two years, or perhaps just before you joined um, uh, uh, User Pilot? What are things that you learned throughout your career that you say this is really important lesson for me? Yeah, I would say definitely what we already mentioned 
mentioned that you need to document everything yeah. right and have a clear and um, transparent process that's available to everyone in your department um to follow and you need to have an an overview of the entire process so like a single source of truth right. where you can yeah. easily click through to the different sops right because you know creating processes and sops is one thing and then having like um a clear roadmap of where everything is is another challenge so as you grow right and you have mm -hmm. created more and more of these sops um sometimes like different people responsible for different things have created them and they are stuck somewhere yeah. you know on notion or maybe on product drivers or maybe on like your google drive or maybe somewhere else right um yeah so you need to you need to make sure you you really have that you have a grip on that that's i would say um the biggest lesson i've learned so far Okay, but these are kind of a, a system that you're using to put all these SOPs or all these systems, all, all these things together so that everyone has access to it? Um. Yeah, so we have um, pretty well organized now a Notion page where we have linked everything. So we have like um, this um, single source of truth okay. SOP for the whole department, which in turn links out to individual SOPs for the different processes, right? So say we have um, content production workflow, that's one SOP. We have content update workflow, that's another SOP. And then we have, say, buckling building workflow, that's yet another SOP, right? But like how it all fits in together, right? Mm -hmm. Like how much of what you should do. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing that is super important and that sort of leads to another big lesson is tracking the outcomes of your work, right? Because marketers tend to throw themselves at different random projects um, because something is fashionable, right? A particular tactic or they read something on LinkedIn, right? And they're like, oh, we must do this or try this. It's very easy to get distracted and to get off track. So you should always track the um, outcomes of whatever you're doing and you should be able to, you know, have, have some systems in place to, to track it. So in our case with content, we track conversions and um, basically sessions. So traffic from each piece of content that we have month over month. Um, and, you know, like, of course, we can't capture all the conversions, right? Because some of them escape the 90-day yeah. window of, um, you know, last touch attribution, first touch attribution, I meant, um, yeah. But, you know, still you have some kind of a benchmark. There's the sort of worst-case scenario that you have. These are the direct conversions from your content. You see if it's working, right? Yeah. That means that, you know, even if you can't, capture everything it means you're like anything else that you get as a bonus right but at least right. you know what is working least, what is not working at least yeah you should be measuring stuff because if you don't measure you know you don't know anything yeah and mm. uh, actually that's uh and also you know the world is changing also we, we, we will have google analytics 4 it's already there but uh, it will be different in the future how you will be able to measure what you will be able to capture there are already um you know you heard about the ios and stuff that if you don't get uh, all of the information 
anyway, not like we had it before. So we need to use the information that we can capture uh, in the right way. Also, what you were saying was interesting about, uh, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed as marketers because we have so many opportunities, so many ideas. There is a new tool, a new social media, something else coming up. So for me, it's important. A lesson that I learned was, it's you should not build 10 bridges at the same time it's better mm. to build one bridge and finish it and then do the, the second one and not to try to build all, all 10 of them because yeah, it's easy to get distracted yeah. this was the problem we had in the first year that you know we were spreading ourselves way way too thinly for the resources that we had and i had this feeling that we we're not doing anything well really um mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's better to focus on one channel and like really nail it and do it really well than do 10 channels really badly, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah, different channels, of course. Uh, for me, my specialty is social media. So mm -hmm. it also I was curious about it. Um, how, how do you look at social media? Do you use it for you? For your, your personal branding, or use for your company branding. Um, what is your favorite channel? Actually, perhaps that's uh, the first question. Yeah. So um, my favorite is definitely LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and I use it a lot for. Well, a kind of you know blend like what I'm using it for is it like personal use or is it company use? Um, yeah. It's a mix of both because we do a lot of like employee branding. Probably I do it most. I pretty much post on LinkedIn every day. And that helps me build connections, which are more or less personal, which in turn leads to marketing opportunities that I'm using for basically user pilot, right? And mm -hmm. the benefits are that people, you know, prefer to connect with other people than with brands. So, you know, the amount right. of um, interactions you're getting on personal profiles is by any means so much higher than you know what you get on LinkedIn pages that well, pretty much pages is there as um, sort of it's almost like Google My Business right it's a storefront right. where yeah. people can go and check your company out to see if you're alive right, right. and probably to see how many employees you have you know yeah. what, what is more or less the size like are you trustworthy right so you need to have it but for as a marketing channel like I think pages are pretty much dead so you need to have a personal presence and for us it's obviously LinkedIn because we cater to a B2B audience um facebook less so we have a pretty large facebook group um that is devoted to product marketing and product growth mm -hmm. um but we don't sweat it we just like yeah post a little bit here and there but we don't really have uh yeah. you know, on facebook uh, itself because facebook group as a community can be very powerful because um yeah linkedin groups are not so active in my yeah. feeling so facebook groups are more like active but it's it's right what you say yeah if um you know if you see 100 posts in your feed only five will be from linkedin pages because that's how the algorithm works and that's all yeah. also you know what we like we like to connect with humans we like to connect with with other people and not with, with pages on the other side like you said the page can help to give some information to see that you are alive and that, that mm. the, the page is active 
but also, um, you know, for some businesses, it can be useful to to uh, make make LinkedIn or use LinkedIn ads to get uh, to get traffic or to get leads. Um, oh, is yeah, it something absolutely. that that you used uh, LinkedIn uh, ads or not at this moment? Yeah, we are pretty much in the phase of testing um, that channel. So we have been using Google Ads consistently for you know years, but. Um, LinkedIn ads, well, they're known to be a bit more expensive, right? right? So you need to have a very well-targeted audience in order to use them. So we only just started. Yeah, mm. that's right. Uh, so Google is indeed is, is, is way less expensive than LinkedIn ads and also Facebook ads. But then you need to really, that's another, as you said, another channel. On LinkedIn, it can become really expensive. That depends on, of course, the offering that you have and and. Actually, if you can really pinpoint your audience and and uh, and approach them through LinkedIn, then it can it can work. Yeah. Um, is there perhaps something else that you can share about you know a tool or a tactic or a campaign uh, that you have been doing or are doing at the moment, which gives your company awareness or or uh, or, or brings something else like like more clients? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, more clients per se. I wouldn't say there is a specific tool that brings us more more clients, right? Yeah. Um, it's so we've been relying pretty much hundred percent on inbound um, sales, which means the majority of our audience comes from our content, right? Okay. Mostly organic content, right? So as I said, we focus very heavily on creating high quality content that resonates with our target audience and you know after a few touch points they may be persuaded to um, book a demo with us Mm -hmm. and what helps us with creating this content is a tool that is called server seo Mm -hmm. and i discovered it well quite a while ago over a year ago but I was skeptical about it and my team was even more skeptical <laughs> about it. So I didn't get a buy-in like several months until um, we started dropping in SERPs for certain keywords that were important to us. And that was the time when I decided like, let's just test it. Let's take mm-hmm. it for a spin and see if it helps us um, to improve the rankings of these keywords. So we did like content audits with it and um Basically, it turned out that our content score could have been better, right? So, um, you know, we used plugins like um, Yoast SEO to optimize our content for SEO, but that was it. And this is, you know, impressionistic. So it's based on best practices rather than the real content that is ranking high in SERPs. So what Surfer SEO does differently is that it basically reverse engineers, you know, what is... Um, already ranking for this specific keyword. So it creates a set of you know, guidelines for a specific keyword rather than just you know, general SEO best practices. And that way we were able to bump this content that started you know, decaying and back up in SERPs pretty quickly. So since then we've been using it for creating all our content. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one tool that definitely helps us a lot, especially with this content velocity, because we're publishing 40 blog posts per month. So oh. it's like two per day. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> and these are long form, these are like hardcore blog posts. It's like 2,500 words about like, what's the difference between a UX designer and a product designer, you know, best product positioning strategy. So, you know, it's not lightweight lifestyle content that you can just chine out quickly mm-hmm. it's something that takes a week to write basically each piece right um two weeks if you consider that it takes another week to create a brief right so that's why the system where we have a lot of editors and a lot of writers um allows us to produce so much high quality content written by a human not ai right mm-hmm. um yeah yeah, but so Server has helped, and what also has enabled us to to run this playbook is Storage. So that's again a platform that's kind of like um, basically like CMS or CMS overlay. Or um, it's funny they are also probably creating their own category, right? And I'm trying to find a good word like content distribution system. Yeah. <laughs> so you know you you write in it and then it helps you distribute the content to different platforms like WordPress, Medium, um, all your social media. So yeah, at one click pretty much. So it's it's really helpful. And it also helps us communicate with the writers, right? So the editors can leave comments in the text directly for the writers, tag them you know, and uh, process it all in an organized manner. Okay. So and I'm happy to hear that because I'm also focusing on 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 content eh, on, on mm. inbound because that's you know, and and I'm really impressed. So many blog posts with so many you know, it's it's not just like putting something out there with a couple of SEO terms, but really quality uh, content. So I think that if you do this, then you do the extra mile comparing to to other companies or that uh, that are around. Eh? Um, yeah. Perhaps uh, yeah, practical question because people that are you know they 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 they, they hear you talk about uh, user pilot, uh, perhaps about your own stories. How can they connect with you uh, after the podcast? After they have, of course listen to this podcast, is it yeah, through LinkedIn so or um, what is the best way? That would be definitely the best channel. As I said, I'm pretty active in LinkedIn, so yeah, like they, they can um, just that's the best place to find me. Yeah. Okay, connect you and of course important refer to the CMO Stories podcast so then you know uh, how they they find you. Eh? Okay, uh, so thank you very much, um, Emilia, for being on my podcast. Um, to all listeners, if you are a CMO and you would like to be invited uh, to come on my podcast, just send me an email. Uh, my email address is yuri at efficado. Um, Com. And of course, uh, also linked to the podcast, we are building a CMO community. So that's always interesting, I think, to connect with other people. For now, thank you very much. And let's meet for the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me.